I'm Joel Volk and welcome to Small BizCast, where twice a month I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and expose strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. Tim Gallagher of 101businesscoach.com is the Vistas Chair, where CEOs and company leaders derive value from a network of peers who understand the issues they have in common. Tim's positive and nurturing approach, coupled with his vulnerable and honest way of sharing wisdom, makes him a great guest. As you listen to this interview, as a small business person, you will find comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Hopefully you'll learn something while finding inspiration and ideas from people I introduce you to, like Tim. Hopefully you'll laugh a little too. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. Tim Gallagher, thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. As you know, the, the more I get to know you, the more impressed I am with you. Not just your ability to bring the best out of people, but you you seem to bring the best out of yourself. And, I, and just now, when we were just playing around, just talking, you have a self-effacing humor, which I share, you know, I, I make fun of myself a lot too. And then sometimes people will misinterpret that to think I'm putting myself down and I'm really not. I'm just, I just find it. The, the things that make me laugh are often insults and I don't like to insult other people. So I insult myself. And I'm always curious, is that similar to you? Is that how you look at things too? I, I'm just an easy target, you know? <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I think I, you know, from an early age, I've learned not to take things so seriously. And if you start with yourself and not taking yourself so seriously, it uh, flows through to other aspects of your life. So that's how I look at things. So speaking of taking yourself not so seriously, what is your nickname? (laughs) Magic. (laughs) (laughs) And also TG, right? That's your initials, the great one, right? Well, that's cute. Uh, That comes from an early childhood experience where I I was always the jokester and the guy in our family keeping everybody kind of loose and fun. And I just referred to myself as the great one. I would leave I would leave notes for my mom and dad, you know, back this before cell phones, Joel. You know, we grew up without cell phones. Can you imagine? No, what's it, what was that like? <laughs> and, and I would go out with my friends and I'd leave my mom a note and say, mom, I'll be back home at six, signed the great one. And she, she got a kick out of that. And that, that was a play on words with the TG, your initials, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind, just how you're, what you're doing now, but not just that, but how you got there? Born in Brooklyn, New York. Very proud of that. I love that. Spent the first... 16 years of my life in Brooklyn. And then uh, my father was much quite a bit older when I was born. He was 44. He retired when I was 16 years old and he bought property in New Mexico. Now, bear in mind, my family came from Ireland in 1851. Nobody had been west of the Hudson River up until wow. my dad's move out to New Mexico. That was old. Um, I thought he was crazy. There's a great Mark Twain saying about his dad that I just love because it, it captures the way I feel about my father. Twain said that he ran away from home at 17, convinced his father was an idiot, came back home at 21 and was surprised to see how much the old man had learned. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that describes my relationship with my dad. I thought he was stupid for moving us to New Mexico at that age. But as things turned out, he and my he and my mom outlived all of their siblings. And I think it had a lot to do with the pace of life and the, the life they built themselves in New Mexico. But he also taught me some important lessons in that he and my mom. And that was... Never to be afraid to take chances, never to be afraid to fail. You know, that was a big, bold move by people to move uh, 2,500 miles away from where everybody else was. Not to be confused with don't be reckless, though, correct? <laughs> well, there, there is a side of me that says, yeah, my dad was pretty reckless because um, we were 
packing to move to New Mexico on the morning we left Brooklyn. So that, that was reckless. <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out. It all worked out. Right. That's I moved great. to Albuquerque as a 16-year-old, uh, finished high school, went to college there, met my wife at college. She's, I'd see this beautiful girl, these big blue eyes walking across campus all the time. And lo and behold, one night at a party, I saw her and used the greatest pickup line ever. Hey, I know you from somewhere. And uh, it worked. It worked. It worked. <laughs> Started my journalism career there in Albuquerque and then went to El Paso, Texas for a few years. Back to Albuquerque, where I was editor of the Albuquerque Tribune at the age of 30, which made me the youngest editor in the country. Wow. And uh, we won a Pulitzer Prize in Albuquerque for some great reporting. It was a terrific staff of people. One thing I was always good at was hiring. Mm -hmm. I seemed to have an ability to find talent, pick some gems out of there. So um, just to interrupt you for a second. So winning the Pulitzer Prize at 30, does that launch your career in a different trajectory when that happens? You become a, a higher profile. People start to notice who you are and start to uh, target you for an acquisition, that sort of thing. It did. Um, and, and to be clear, we didn't win it when I was 30. We won it when I was about 37, I think. Oh, okay. It took me a few years to win the Pulitzer. <laughs> but it did, Joel. You, you put your finger right on it. The phone started ringing uh, with offers from other newspaper companies that wanted me to go for interviews. And my company recognized this recruitment was going on and was trying to find a new ticket for me. And they punched one in Ventura, California. And there were several newspapers here that were small newspapers. They were just trying to combine them into one large newspaper, a la the Orange County Register. Right. And it was my job to pull those staffs together. I always tell people, it was like I came out here and had four fingers and a thumb. And I said, you're now a hand. And we have to work together as one countywide newspaper. And I did that in January of 1995, moved to California. So I know you're going to get there later on about your, what you're currently doing, but that seems like it's a really great training for what you are currently doing. Absolutely. You know, I came into a staff of 125, many of whom didn't know each other. They had worked on different newspapers. I can remember calling some staff-wide pizza party meetings at our office in Camarillo, and they knew each, the reporters knew each other by the byline. Oh, you're John Mitchell. And, you know, <laughs> probably put the face there. So it was challenging to uh, take these five disparate uh, organizations, um, separate cultures, right. separate leadership. Uh, in many cases, I was replacing a leader of an organization and try to teach it to behave like one for the betterment of all. So the us and them mentality must have been times five. It must have been really challenging was frustrating. Um, there were very different standards. Yeah. One of the newspapers in particular was larger than the others, about twice as, three times as large as the next biggest paper. And so the talent pool there was stronger. But some of the newspapers were very small and people had very little journalism experience and very little talent to go with it. And so I did have to do a fair amount of house cleaning during the first year or two to bring the standards up, to, you know, the... I always felt like the lowest person was what I would tolerate in terms of standards. And that low was very low when I got there. I had right. just had to move that up over the next few years. Am I correct then? Your leadership training was on the job. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So how old were you at this point, if you don't mind my asking? 38. 38. So 30. So is it also safe to say that most of the people you were leading were older than you at that point? 
Oh, absolutely. Almost every job I ever had until, yeah, they were almost always, most of the newsroom was older than I was. Okay. So I can just, you know, just see a whole list of challenges that all that, all that comes, you know, <laughs> presents. And uh, so what, what would you say was your number one skill or talent or, you know, instinct that led you to succeed there? Fake it till you make it. <laughs> you can't dazzle them with brilliance that <laughs> yeah you know how the rest of that one goes <laughs> um, i think that was a challenge with some uh, that they were taking orders from some kid on the other hand i i never lacked for confidence right i always knew that i was capable of doing the job and i would go out and do it and if i made a mistake you know pick myself up knock the dust off and get going the next day. But I found that people responded to me because they knew I had their best interests in heart. They could see the progress we were making very quickly and said, okay, this kid may be young, but seems to know what he's doing. So let's, let's help, let's get in line. Mm -hmm. And uh, the only time it really was sort of disastrous was when I mentioned I started at Albuquerque then went down to Texas for six years. Yeah. Then I came back to Albuquerque. There was a significant exodus then because probably 10 people on that staff knew me as the kid who just graduated college. Now he's the boss. Maybe it's time for me to get on with my career. Right. And they left. And um, that was okay. Yeah. It's safe to say they probably would have been toxic at that point anyway. I think so. And for some, maybe it was just the kick in the pants they needed to get on with their careers. I mean, one of them who left, Joel, came out here in Los Angeles, eventually Russ Parsons, and he became the food editor editor of the Los Angeles Times for about 15 years. So right. that's good. You know, my, yeah, my heading back right. to Albuquerque was just what, just what Russ needed to get going. So uh, tell us what you're doing now, Tim. So right now I am a chair with a group called Vistage. And chair is not a piece of furniture. It is that other definition of a chair. It's a leader of a group of CEOs and company owners who come together regularly to roll up our sleeves and use that common wisdom in the room to tackle the challenges that every business leader has. And the thought is that the groups, the group and the group's wisdom is much stronger than any leader trying to go it alone. You know, they say it's lonely at the top for a reason. Back when I was running the newspaper and eventually after being editor, I became publisher. Joel, it was one of the loneliest periods of my life and probably one of the worst jobs of my life because I had nobody. There was a corporate office 2,500 miles away. There was a staff of people below me who, and, and what they wanted were different. The people below me wanted resources. They wanted money so they could do their job better. The people above me, they wanted money too. They wanted all the profit they could get. Did you have a mentor, Tim? I did. Several people who were really good to me during during my career. My brother, Jack, my older brother, Jack, was probably my strongest mentor in my career. And there was a man in the newspaper company, Bill Burley, who was very strong. On the other hand, he was chairman of the board that was looking for me to send him more money, too. So <laughs> the mentoring only went so far. Talk about a conflict of interest, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to jump back and forth because I find it really interesting because chairing a Vistage group where you're really working with other people who are the head of their companies, they're lonely, as you said, at the top. And there's no question about it. It's it's a lonely place when the, when you're standing between your customers and your employees. And yeah. uh, it's a, it's an oftentimes a lonely place where decisions, you can't make everybody happy. And uh, yeah. 
and there's only so many paths forward. If you don't have anybody to bounce ideas off of, it can be, you know, dangerous. I I was talking to a guy yesterday, Joel, who's uh, got a terrific company representing a lot of consumer products in the health and beauty space. He has the opportunity to take on. He's about a five million dollar a year company. He has the opportunity to take on about six to eight million dollars of investment from outside investors who want to, who believe in his company. But his question is, so then what is the pressure going to be on me? Right. What do I do after that? They're going to have some very strong expectations when they give him that money. And he, up until, you know, meeting with our group yesterday, was all alone in making those decisions. Now, I don't mean that literally, you know, he has his, has his wife and, you know, a few friends that advise him, but he doesn't have anything like a room full of CEOs who have been through issues just like this before. Right. And typically that a group like that, you're not, those aren't your customers. You're not networking with them. They're not your competitors. You don't have anything to hide. You have to go in there vulnerable. You have to go in there ready to show your, you know, like we say, when we're talking about this show, ready to show your blemishes and all. So that the people that you're there to help advise you can tailor their advice a little bit to who they know you to be your weaknesses and your strengths, of course, but you also are involved with something called the positivity in positivity quotient positive intelligence yeah positivity intelligence yeah and it seems to me after reading a little bit about this that these things go hand in hand with making good business decisions and leading teams yeah absolutely can can you can you i think we're going to jump around this conversation a little bit because i think all these things are kind of interweave But so if we can like lay the groundwork for what the positivity intelligence is. Sure. Let me jump back to something and I'll lead right into the positive intelligence. Uh, I tell the people who join my group, you mentioned vulnerability and that's a great word. I tell the people who are thinking about joining my group or I'm thinking about asking them to join the group. I need three things. Integrity. They have to tell the truth and hold things sacred. Curiosity. Yeah. I'm not interested in if you're the smartest guy in the room. Great. Go join some other group. You know, right. And the third thing is courage and courage and vulnerability are kind of, they're they're very much related, right? Courage to be vulnerable, to say, I need your help. I'm not perfect at this. That's a rare quality. I think, uh, particularly maybe among CEOs, maybe Mm -hmm. not, but I see some who are arrogant, who are kind of smug and think they don't need anybody's help. They don't make very good Vistage members. The people who make good Vistage members are people who say, I'm thinking about doing this. I could use some help. What do you guys think? You know, what does the rest of the group think? Right. And and I assume it takes a while for them to get to that place where they can be courageous and show their vulnerability because we're used to, you know, us type A who run our own business are used to not showing our weaknesses to the people that we are to our constituents. We're used to, you know, faking it till we make it, right? We got to be, and so and so after it takes a while to get to trust other people that you're gonna you know show them a little bit of your courage and vulnerability for them to realize it's a safe place to do so, and then you can really let the magic of a group like that work. For the most part, these people got to be the CEO because they were the best person at whatever that company does, right? Whether it's construction or something else, they're the best one, and so they rise to the top, but. As that old saying, what got you there, you know, will not get you to the next place, right? Or what got you here will not get you there. I think it's probably the better way to say it. That's an old saying. I never heard that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm Irish. I'm Irish, Joel. If it's you know, if it's not an old saying, I'll make it one. 
But how that relates to the positive intelligence, which is where I was, you know, told you, I promised you I would take you. What I've learned through the positive intelligence is that all of us as human beings have uh, what Dr. Shirzad Shamin, who's the founder of this group, or founder of this idea, talks about. We have saboteurs. We have things we're born with. So for me, they were hyperachiever and people pleaser at the top of my list of saboteurs. Right. You take this assessment to see, you know, what are the things that, that are sabotaging you in your life? And all these things sound like strengths until you play them out to ridiculous lengths. And if it'll help, I'll give you an example. Yeah, I was, I was going to just take that thought. I'm not sure I would say they sound like strengths, but they certainly sound like tools that can help you avoid problems. That's a good way of looking at it, too. For me, the two at the top I mentioned were hyperachiever and people pleaser. Right. Which, there's, what's wrong with that, right? Being a hyperachiever, you want to be number one, right? Well, what I found through examination of this is that very often my desire to achieve and to win, but also to have you like me, causes me to be untruthful with you. Right. Causes me to tell you a story that I think will serve my end and also make you like me, even if it's not the truth. And eventually, I'm that lie is exposed. And you think Tim Gallagher is not a guy I can trust because, you know, he lies to get whatever he needs in the end. And that can, that's a very damaging thing. And I, I learned this through my coursework on this, that this was one of the things that was actually sabotaging me. Uh, for other people, there are different things out there. There's hypervigilance, there's controllers, there's sticklers, there's avoiders, but those are people who drive me crazy. You know, they won't deal with the issue. Right. And then there are sage powers. There are powers in our brain that allow us to overcome these saboteurs. And those powers are things like explorer, innovator, empathizer. And what you learn through the program is to slow yourself down when you've got difficult decisions ahead, usually through a lot of mindfulness exercises, you know, that, that are very popular, mm -hmm. rubbing your two fingers together, deep breathing, that sort of thing. And to shift your thinking from, I'm a hyperachiever, I'm a people pleaser, I got to do this to, wait a minute, slow down, Tim. Yeah, over here, let, let, me, let me talk with Joel, but let me explore with Joel what he really needs. Rather than me trying to manipulate you to my way and get what I need, I'm going to take the time to explore with you and find out what your need is in this conversation. Why did you start this podcast? Where are you going with that? Let me help you with that. So is there a yin and yang to it, that there's a balance, that a certain amount of saboteur is healthy, but you also need a certain degree of, is it, did you call it the sage? The sage, yeah. Yes. So is there, I mean, is there a balance that if, if, if one, if, you have, if I have too much sage and not enough saboteur, is that unhealthy <laughs> or is it, is, is it only unhealthy if it's too much saboteur and not enough sage? You know, that, that's, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way until you mentioned it, but that's, that's accurate. Um, Let me ask you another there. question that I don't think you thought of. I'll bet you. Okay. Is being a Mets fan saboteur or sage? It's just, it's just being an incurable optimist who is constantly slapped down by right. reality. <laughs> right. Okay. Because you're a Mets fan. So the whole time okay. thinking, is that, is that self-sabotage? or is That's that the saboteur of self-flagellation. You know, you know, it's going to end in disaster. All right. you know? Okay. All right. We'll forget that. But have you ever seen my Facebook profile? It says fan of teams that rarely win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least they admit it. 
if I have an imbalance, it, does that affect me? Does that make me also make bad decisions or, or poor decisions or execute poor or no decisions too? Right. I mean, I yeah, paralysis is the worst, I think. Right. Yeah. But if you think about the people in your life who are you admire, yeah, um, I would suggest that most of those people, if you thought hard about it and analyze it, those are people where the sage powers are very strong, mm-hmm. and the saboteurs are there. But as you suggested. They're not so powerful to uh, dominate the relationship you have with them. Trying to trying to envision that. So if I'm running a business and I recognize that I've got these, you know, voices that are leading me down a negative path, I've got these yeah. saboteurs. Yeah. And it, it, can you employ these yeah. self-correction procedures, you know, processes on the fly to you can't. Yeah, let me give you an, give you an example. Yeah, this please. is the way I coach some of the people who are in my group. Mm-hmm. One of them who runs a company, her saboteur is hypervigilant and stickler. And so she has to control every detail of her right. company. Okay. So she's Joel, she's the CEO. She's also the CFO. Okay. She's head of HR. She runs IT. <laughs> she's does it all. And as you can imagine, at the end of the day, she is exhausted. Right. Because she is constantly involved in the details. And now her company has had some nice growth in the last few years, but not like it could have. Right. Not like it could have if she was able to step back, get into her sage brain and maybe let's say innovate or navigate is one of the other ones, her way to a better way of running her company and herself. Yeah. I think maybe if her growth has been like 2x, her growth might have been 4 or 5x in the last few years if she wasn't trying to do everything. We're going to take a short break and be right back. Small BizCast is proud to support Fit for the Cause. Fit for the Cause is the leading organization in fitness for low-income and special needs communities. Founded in response to the national health crises, Fit for the Cause has used licensed and COVID-conscious trainers to keep their members active, even during the pandemic. Offering physical training, nutrition, and a variety of classes, members benefit from the same resources given to Special Olympic athletes. So stay active now by going to www.fitforthecause.com cause.org that's fit the numeral four the cause.org welcome to our new sponsor jorgensen hr jorgensen hr believes that an employer's workforce is the single key to customer satisfaction reputation growth profitability and the ultimate success of the company jorgensen hr works to ensure that employers are in compliance with federal state and local hr laws and helps assist them with almost everything else HR. Driven by passion and guided by expertise, Jorgensen HR. Please remember to mention Small BizCast when you call 661-600-2070 or visit them online at jorgensenhr.com. You may remember Janice Miller of Miller Haga Law Group from our episode, Saving Nigel in season one. Miller Haga supports businesses of all sizes from large to small. No matter what phase your business is in, from startup to wind down, Miller Haga Law Group acts as your innovative general counsel. Their experienced team of lawyers will keep the gears of your business turning. If you want to minimize your liability while maximizing your profits with competent and efficient counsel, contact MillerHaga.com for more information. That's MillerHaga, H-A-G-A.com. If you know of anyone who feels lonely on their way to the top, I can help. 
Hot Dog Business Growth is for companies of all sizes. For people new to business, we offer the Pay It Forward Roundtable, a monthly half-day panel discussion with your peers, coupled with one-to-one private counseling with me. This is super affordable and the best OJT you'll ever get as you learn to grow your business. For the more seasoned, Hot Dog Business Growth offers counseling for leadership and teams. We offer sales strategies and team synergy, as well as customer service assessments and training. Our decades of business experience is on tap for you and your team. Schedule your no obligation conversation at hotdogbizgrowth.com. We are back with Vistage Chair Tim Gallagher of 101businesscoach.com. You know, somebody that I interviewed for the podcast just recently, it'll, it'll air a little bit before this one. His name is Mickey Kennedy. He, he, one of the pivot points for him was he took himself out of the production office. He realized he was such a perfectionist that even though his staff was doing well, he was constantly correcting their behavior and tweaking it and, and kind of killing their spirit and had, as a result, had a lot of turnover. And then once he decided that he was the problem, he separated himself from that and just let them, you know, set some standards and let put somebody in charge to make sure the standards were maintained and then got the hell out of the office and let the people do what they did so he can go do what he did. And his business took off as a result. It sounds like he stopped being a manager and became a leader. Yeah. Right. And right. That's what I, that's what I do with the folks I'm walking, I'm working with. Mm-hmm. One of them is the CEO of a construction company and the poor guy can't walk through the office without two, three, four, five people stopping saying, Hey, could you help me? What should I do about this? Oh, we had this problem with it. And what we're working on with him is stop being the manager, stop being the problem solver, stop putting out all the fires. Let me teach you fire prevention. Right. Let me teach you how to teach them, how to coach them into solving these issues and bringing you the big issues because your CEO, you should deal with the big issues. Sure. But you shouldn't be dealing with an invoice that was wrong. Somebody should know yeah. how to fix that. Right. I had this conversation just today to one of my clients. Uh, we had a pretty well-structured meeting with the sales and marketing team. You yeah. know, I, I work with with I work with the individuals, I work with the team, and I work with leadership. And we wanted and we we identified last week that there was a policy that we needed to establish. We didn't know what to do if this scenario happened. And last week when it happened, we were paralyzed by it. And the team had a lot of negativity because of the paralysis. And so in our, in my counseling with them, we talked about let's, let's, let's iron out what the possibilities are and then let's take these possibilities to leadership and let's just establish what the policy okay. is because we need clarity on what the policy will be. So today at the meeting, he presented it, my, my, you know, my client on the low end presented it to his boss who immediately gave the answer to the question. Instead of asking clarifying questions and leading him down a path where where he could kind of assess, you know, the better of the options and leading him down a path where he could talk about the, you know, the pains and the gains of making different decisions, he just gave the answer. So then afterwards, I debriefed, you know, leadership. And I said, I said, we, we want to train leaders. We don't want to train followers. And if we want to train leaders, we have to ask questions that lead them to, uh, to align with us. We cannot just give them the answer. And I know that you're in pain. You know, I know that you know the answer. So you're like a horse at the gate. You want to move past it. You've got the answer, but we can't grow our business if our people can't be, can't learn to lead on their own. And that would have freed him up, by the way. You know, if, if they, if they, if the, if the employee, under, you know, comes to a process is empowered to make the decision 
and is led to make the good decision, then the leadership can go ahead and make their business better on so many other levels and get out of that room and get out of those meetings. From a business growth counseling perspective, from my from my perspective, yeah. I thought I felt like there was so much work that we did in those two debriefs. It was great, actually, but I was very much along the line, story, very much along the line of what you're talking about. One of the things I work on with, and I think we talked about this at breakfast, but one of the analysis I try to do with the business leaders I work with is um, a formula one of my colleagues gave me, and that is that um, success in a business or in life, but mainly in a business for this context, success is equal to capability minus dysfunction. And what I work with my leaders on is where is the dysfunction in your organization? Right. We can lessen the dysfunction and emphasize the capabilities you're going to have greater success. Yes. And it's a funny thing when you talk about how many times we've, took, we've mentioned the word vulnerability, getting them to recognize where they're vulnerable as a dysfunction, you know, is critical to their, their that awareness that, yeah, this isn't working right. And I'm going to work on it creates so much more success for them in the long run, rather than just ignoring it or tolerating it. Very good. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I think that's it makes sense. I was thinking about again today the conversation I had with the CEO where he realized that his dysfunction was in jumping to the answer rather than yeah. the question. And how the difference in that is the is the difference between training a leader and training a follower. Yes. And yeah. so that success, but if, if he could get over that dysfunction, yeah, his his success will will increase dramatically. You know, and you mentioned a critical word back in the beginning of that you said clarity, you know, clarifying questions. I, a lot of times when I'm working with the leaders, that's part of the issue is they don't have clarity. And I said, you know, one of my phrases with them is look, information brings you clarity and clarity brings you security. So if you gather the information and the th issues are clear, you make better decisions that make you feel more secure. Right. So information, clarity, security is one of the phrases I repeat with them a lot. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. You know, the more information you have, the less you have to guess, right? And so, right. and when right. you guess, you're going to be insecure because you know you're guessing and you know you're going to be wrong part of the time. So, yeah. So we, we have a guy in the group who's the biggest supplier in the company just went bankrupt on Monday. Oh. And he just mm -hmm. upside down. And it's a husband and wife company. And, you know, they're working through things and we're working with them as a group and we're kept coming back to look, you need information about this question, that question, this event, that event, these people, because that will give you the clarity you need to make good decisions and move forward. And uh, it was a real situation room type of thing for them this week. Things are happening in real time. And, yeah. And uh, he was so grateful to he and his wife. We're so grateful to have the group to bring the issues to. Yeah, I'm curious about that. So was that a vulnerability that he already identified could happen? Or, no. Or was, that, was he caught flat-footed on that? Flat-footed, Joel. And what made it more interesting, without getting too much detail, is the company that went out of business was run by a man who was, in effect, his uncle. Mm -hmm. um, had been very close to him growing up since a child. And when he started his business, this became his this man was his mentor and uh, all those sort of things. So there's a lot of personal stuff right. mixed in with this as well, which as you know, from your own experience, that happens all the time in business, right? Our right. personal gets mixed in with the business. Yeah. yeah, so those types of things make me crazy. Here's the reason why, because 
one of the jobs as the CEO is to look for those vulnerabilities that could, yeah. you know, that, that, and then look for ways to mitigate them in advance. I'll give you an example back from my prior career. I was a, a Xerox partner, but I was always fully aware that Xerox yeah. could make a decision at a very high level that, that made my, my value to them inert. Always very, and, and and that would have been a huge problem for us because we had so much, you know, we were branding ourselves with with Xerox, and so I so I always had a secondary line, I always had I always had a secondary line, so I I could pivot if I needed to, one that we were already trained on, the technicians already worked on, that we already had some inventory on, and I kept some percentage of my clients in those in that gear, so if Xerox would make a decision that would negatively affect my future with them. I didn't, I wasn't starting from zero. And, um, and I, I watched a lot of people in my industry go out of business because they, they weren't thinking that that could happen because they were so comfortable. I mean, I was spending millions of dollars a year with Xerox. I thought they needed me, but the reality is it was such a tiny number to their whole total that if they made a strategic decision to me, it was everything to them. It was nothing. And so it was important to, to have that protection uh, for myself. You just gave me a great idea from the next meeting. We'll do a post-mortem on what happened in this company. But that's that's a lasting lesson for all the companies in my group. What's your backup plan? Right. Where are your vulnerabilities? And testing those assumptions all the time. Testing those vulnerabilities is critical yeah. for business success. It may never happen, but if it does, yeah. what's your backup plan? And that, and that's the brilliance of a of a Vistage group or a group like yours right. because we get so close to it. Sometimes we can't see the forest from the trees, and somebody sitting in the chair next to us could draw from his experience, his or her experience, right, and show them what they're missing in a very safe place. And now, is your role um, the person that asks the questions, or the ones that questions the answers? Or what do you, uh, do you yeah. what do you do to bring out the depth of the question and the possible solutions? I drive them crazy. <laughs> As you, you alluded to this, my job is not to answer their questions. It's to question their answers. It's yeah. one of the catchphrases I like, that I like. I think the answers are within most of the people I work with. They know what the answers are. They just need somebody to bring it out. Yeah. And one of my best compliments I get from these folks is, where do you get these questions from? I just stay curious. Right. How did that feel? Well, what went into your thinking there? And that's, think about that, must come from your, that must come from your background as a journalist, I would think. Well, that, that's certainly helpful, but I think that's, you know, that's not the only reason people are curious, right? You can be not be a journalist and just be a curious person. And that's one of the things that I do, but it does come from the training and in positive intelligence. Right. It does come from books I've read, like Powerful Questions or, you know, Brene Brown is one of my favorite people in talking about leadership and vulnerability. And it's just a matter of really staying curious and not having a lot of assumptions about why you do what you do. I mean, that is something I definitely learned as a journalist. Don't assume things, you know, verify them, but just asking people questions about things and also asking them about the emotions that went into the decision, mm -hmm. the background. I often, I, I truly believe that childhood beliefs are what lead us to many of the decisions that we make as adults, things that happened to us in those formative years as kids good and bad, carry yeah. through with us all the way through to adulthood. And one of the things I do with the members is try to take them back into those childhood years about what made you create that belief about your life, that this was the right thing to do, or this is the right approach to take. And for many of them, you get a smile or maybe a little pained look as they go back to being a 12-year-old or eight-year-old or five-year-old and think about something that happened that brought them to today.
And you have to be uh, very vulnerable to let that happen. <laughs> you, They'll only go as far as you go. Right. right. So right. You, have to have that courage. you have to have that courage you spoke about earlier to have that. I'll, I don't mind sharing with you. I've told this to people and share with your audience too. But part of the reason I became a people pleaser is you know, my, my dad. You know, my dad was a wonderful dad in many ways, but was a very frightening man when he got angry. And I remember he spanked me one time when I didn't want to go to school. And he came up to school, pulled me out of class, spanked me as a five-year-old. And I wound up urinating in my pants. You know, it's a painful memory as a kid. Um, that here I am 60 years later can still think of, you know, what that felt like to have your, your pants turn a different color and this warm liquid running down your leg. It's, it was hard. Yeah. But it taught me a lifelong lesson that became a saboteur, which was be a people pleaser. Don't get people angry with you. Right. Make them like you and they won't spank you in the hallway and make you pee your pants. So if your default response to a challenge is to then be that people pleaser, what do you do to when you see it coming? What do you, yeah. what, do you what do you I mean? I, I know that feeling because I share some of those qualities with you. And, I, you know, I know that um, I, I see it coming and I have yeah. to then stop, yeah. you know, stop myself from telling you what you want to hear and get and 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 revert back to the truth, which, by the way, is why it was very important for me to sell stuff that I believed in because 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 I realized that I had I, I have that quality I'm going to tell you what you want to hear I better sell something that you want to buy okay it made it easier for me as someone who's going to do that it made it easier for me to 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 do that and I with all seriousness it occurred to me later on I'm not sure I did it deliberately but I think that's what I ended up doing interesting but 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 what do you do when you see it coming and yeah. know that you're not going to be able to tell the truth precisely yeah. and make the people like you? So I now do a couple of things. One is I do some mindful practices. Like one of the first things I do when I feel it coming is I start by rubbing two fingers together, you know, and that is a reminder to me. And then I rub all the fingers together in the palms of the hands. And it's a reminder to me to shift out of this saboteur mode into a different mode. And like I say, it's usually it's something that's curious or innovative. Where it happens to me most often now is when I'm talking to somebody about joining my Vistage group. Right. And maybe they're not a perfect fit or maybe they've got a question or an objection. And I can come up and spin a great BS story about, oh, that's not something you should worry about. Here's, here's how we'll fix it. And instead, what I start doing now is like, okay, so... If that's your concern, tell me more about it. Why is that a concern for you? Let me dig into that a little bit with you. What's your worry there? And I just turn it around to a question rather than a sales job by the dishonest me. Yeah, yeah. By the way, what for the listeners, what they didn't see, oh, they didn't sorry. hear, what they didn't hear was when Tim was taking us through that thought process, he was physically rubbing his fingers palms and his palms together, yeah. creating a, a visual, I mean, a, a, a tactile reminder Right. of, of um, that it's time to shift. Is that a, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Well yeah. done, Joel. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah. Interesting. You know, I, ha I have, uh, um, I think I shared this with you when we were at breakfast, but I, I have a, uh, I have a reset song. Okay. Actually, if, I find, if I find somebody taking me down a path that, you know, I find myself going to a negative place or a place that I feel yeah. insecure, or I might have to, I, I, I always sing this line to myself. 
You can't take that away from me. And this is a reminder to myself that I'm in charge of how I respond. I'm in charge. You, you can't that which I that which I have inside is mine to control and okay. your you can't change that now i can yeah. you you might get there and i might respond in a bad way a negative way but it's because of me not because of you i just reminds me and i'll usually sing it to myself by the way i won't sing it aloud but so where just, did that come from when did, when did you start doing that it came from when i sold my business after being after owning my company and being you know the big cheese for 36 years all of a sudden i had a boss and and the boss wasn't somebody that I agreed with on how she did things. Okay. And and I found the worst of myself coming out from her. I found I found myself responding poorly, having physical responses, leaning towards I wasn't I, I found myself just not being my best. I just didn't like the way I was behaving or thinking or feeling. And so I had to take control of that. And I was talking to somebody else. Actually, she was on the podcast. Her name is Nancy Fox. And she she has a catchphrase, she has like a saying, she'll have a saying that you know, like an affirmation. And she suggested an affirmation word, like a reset word, I think it was. And I thought, I tried a couple of reset words, and then I think I heard that song <laughs> on the radio. And I think it kind of resonated on it. That's it. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think I just heard that song. I went, okay, that's really it. Because I mean, I really am in control unless I, unless I cede that control to somebody else. But I'm curious, why were you unhappy after you sold the business? Was it? the boss or was it you were just unhappy it sold or tell me more about that yeah interesting i was not unhappy that i sold the business and i was not unhappy with the people i sold it to i was unhappy at times with the people that i had to work with that had a different different level of attention to customer service or not even a different level but just a different approach different management style sometimes a more aggressive less uh, collegiate way of doing things and you know, like I said, quite frankly, I'd been used to being the boss for all those years, and all of a sudden I had one. And so, the, you know, I had to grow. I had to grow, and I had to learn, and I had to be a better team person, and I had to start with my own response to other people's stimuli. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. How long did it take you to sort of work your way through it? It was actually it was it was once I once I stumbled upon that solution, it was like it never bothered me again. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That she would be talking to me, and I would just think it, and I would just smile and listen and adapt and or or respond accordingly. But it empowered me to respond very positively. It was like it was seriously like a bit of magic. That so uh, what other aspects of your life do you find yourself singing? I can't take you can't take that away from me. Uh, outside of business, yeah, it, it's it's really is when I find myself um, responding negatively to someone else's. Okay. to somebody else's behavior it doesn't it could be your behavior you could you know if if i if if the i usually have a pretty good attitude when it comes to people but every once in a while i wake up on the wrong side of the bed and i have to reset myself and if the you know the 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 server at the restaurant is is rude i i don't want to be rude back you know so i have to say she can't take that away from she I, I just i just do this little little generic generalization making it a, a she no, but but i just i just um but but i have but then i'll i'll make sure that 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 i respond the way i want to respond not the way that yeah I, the, the power of those mirror neurons is so so crucial so powerful if that server is being rude your inclination is to be rude right back yeah. Instead, and it's so much more empowering, by the way, to kill them with kindness. It's so much more empowering to, you know. Well, so in my case, what I do is I kill them with empathy. I yeah. start to think, hey, what's what's behind this? Why is this guy having such a rough day? Can I, right, can right. I give you an example of last week how this just 
saved my marriage after 44 years to save my marriage. Again? The uh, <laughs> Friday, Friday morning, uh, I had an early appointment. I got up and left at around uh, 6.30. And uh, it was nice. I was calm out. I hung, I, we hang the American flag in front of the house every day, which leads some people to believe I'm some sort of right-wing conservative, which I'm not. But that's that's story for another day. I just fly the American flag and believe in America. Anyway, around uh, 9.30, and when my first interview was over, frantic call from my wife who had been outside in the backyard, the wind had whipped up and it was blowing about 45, 50 miles an hour. And the poor gal, she had to go outside and she had to tie down these different uh, umbrellas we have and stuff was blown over the yard. One of the umbrellas blew inside out and she was just frantic and she was really upset. And Joel, guess who she was upset with? I'm going to guess it wasn't me. Nah, Joel, you had nothing to do with it. It was the guy she's been sleeping with for 45 years. <laughs> and what I did was instead of mirroring her anxiety and fear, yeah, I went to my sage place of empathy. And I thought, and I started saying, to her, boy, that must have really been awful for you. I mean, geez, you're out there and it's cold today, isn't it? Yeah, it's really cold out there. My hands were freezing. I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. Are you okay now? You know, I mean, could I bring you anything? And I just went to this completely empathetic place to right. what it must have been like for her. Now, was that a natural place for you to go? or did No, you... naturally, I wanted to say to her, well, it wasn't my fault. I was calm when I left the house, you know? Right, right. So I really teach myself. Well, anyway, let me jump ahead. So I went to another interview and I got out of that one around 12. And I gave her a call and I said, hey, how you feel now? She said, I'm fine. I, I'm, I really owe you an apology. I, I was yelling at you earlier for something that was not your fault. And, you know, I just want to let you know, I, I, I'm sorry about that. And I, and I stayed empathetic. I said, no, you were upset. It was okay like that, you know? Yeah. And we talked about it later that night. She said, you know, the first phone call, I was, I was so mad. And I wanted you to yell at me. I wanted to get the phone. Right. With you, right. But you wouldn't do it. And I was kind of mad at you for not doing it. And I said, yeah, I know. I could tell you were, but I wasn't going there. Right. She said, well, this is this is a lot better, isn't it? And I said, yeah, much better. So this this brings me to something that I a note that I I wanted to bring up. So I'm really glad you spontaneously okay. the story because Joel, the marriage counselor, is that what you're talking about? That too. But I I think that the the positive intelligence and the the facilitating the roundtable through Vistage is so applicable to life in general. Yeah. That it's not it's not just business and that all of these lessons, although we live our life in the business community and the business world, all of these lessons yeah. help us be better humans. Absolutely. And so I, I'm so I'm so glad that you let me, you know, you you took me there instead of the other way around. Because <laughs> because, because that's that's really and I and I think you of all people get that because you had such a, a multi-dimensional career and multi and you help people and businesses and solve problems in a different yeah. way that you can't separate life from work in this case this is yeah. all one interwoven approach to communication and problem solving and and yeah. Uh, planning yeah it's helped me joel i mean i can tell you i'm i am i'm a better human being today than i was 2 years ago i'm much more empathetic understanding you know, more willing to listen. I've always wanted to bring the best out in people, but right. now I have some tools that help me do that. Some right. different tools to help me do that. And it's cute because when my oldest son is going through a very difficult family situation with a divorce and stuff. And 
sometimes I find myself being a vistage coach to him or a positive right. intelligence coach to him. And he's so funny. He's such a smart guy and so perceptive. He says, dad, don't go all vistage on me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Tim, how do people, um, number one, learn more about the positive in- intelligence yeah. and number two, learn about yeah. you, all, all of your contact information will be in the show notes, all that sort of thing. But if, if somebody just wants to, how, how do they, how do they get started learning about this? Sure. They can apply it so, to their life and their work. Positiveintelligence.com is the website where they find more about it. And that's also the name of the book by Dr. Shirzad Shamin. And Shirzad Shamin? Shirzad, so I'll spell it as S-H-I-R-Z-A-D. And then Shamin is C-H-A-M-I-N-E. But positiveintelligence.com will take them there. To learn more about the practice, how I put it in there, I've built a website called 101 Business Coach, 101businesscoach.com. And I blog in there at least once a week about some of the lessons I'm learning through this practice. Um, You know, I've written about empathy. I've written about the power of listening. Mm -hmm. I've written about the three gifts. One of the things we work on, Joel, is, you know, every situation in life, no matter how good or how bad, you must seek to find three gifts that have come out of it. I love that. And work on that. Uh, Do we have time? Can I tell you a story about that? Yeah, of course. I told the story in my blog last week about going to work with Habitat for Humanity in Ventura County. And it started with an awful situation. They had a client who they had done some repair work for, not built a house, but done some repair work for. And she was entirely unreasonable and was going to uh, city council meetings and newspapers, what have you, and just saying terrible things about Habitat for Humanity, ruining their reputation. And somebody connected the CEO at Habitat with me said, can you help us get through this crisis? And I did, you know, in my PR life, that's one of the things I did. But from there grew a relationship with Habitat that has flowered. I have a lot of relationships with the individual cities in Ventura County. Mm -hmm. And I started taking the Habitat uh, executives to those cities to find parcels of land that cities could donate to Habitat to build homes. Through that process, we've now found three projects that are worth about $30 million and probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 or 60 habitat homes that may or may not have happened had that lady not been so awful to habitat. Right. right. So talk about finding your three gifts. Right. You know, so these in this case, the three gifts were these three projects that started from this awful situation. I love that. And I think that's pretty common that, 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 yeah. Once you get through the dust and the and the fog of something negative, there usually is something of value, and so, if not, if nothing sure. more, wisdom and a lesson. But if that's at the very least, you have those, and then hopefully, sometimes you get really good, tangible, positive outcomes. Very true. And the other thing, other thing I wanted to work in there, use this if you want, but it was about Yogi Berra as a leader rather than a teacher, and <laughs> if you don't mind, let me spin this for you, but because I was working with the group on it yesterday, I said. So, you know, we tend to think of Yogi Berra for the malapropisms and all the crazy things he does, but he was actually kind of a remarkable human being. There's this great story about in spring training where Yogi is trying to teach some of the younger Yankees in camp how to hit, and he's just butchering it. He just cannot explain how he does it. And he finally says, oh, just watch me do it. Right. Which, of course, is a horrible way to teach, right? Right. And yet he went on to have a very successful managerial career. Right, right. I mean, in 10 years, Yogi won, I think, four pennants and a couple of World Series and 
was coach on the Miracle Mets in 1969. Yeah. So he had some terrific leadership qualities, right? but he was a horrible teacher or yeah. manager, if you will. And it's not often we think about Yogi Berra as a leader, but he was re- a remarkable leader. Early, early Joel uh, dysfunction as a, as a boss. I hire uh, Val. Val is, uh, you know, she's going to be my receptionist and answers phones and uh, she's going to order items that we need to order. And she's going to be, you know, basically the person that runs the office. And I, you know, I'm the guy that goes out and gets the biz, right? I'm the guy that goes out and gets the business. So it's day one. She's been there about an hour. I've got an appointment out. She's, I'm going to leave her by herself in the office. Okay. And uh, she's and I'm trying to get out the door, impatient as always. I'm, by the way, about 23 years old. And she says, what should I do if somebody needs something? And I very impatiently said, well, just do what I would do. <laughs> now, I don't remember this at all. But seven years after she, she worked for me for about seven years. And about seven years after she uh, left, she wrote me a letter telling me how, you know, what a, you know, giving me nice compliments for the years working together and how she grew and all this stuff. But she reminded me of the very, very first day she worked for me. He told me that story. And like I said, I don't remember it, but I think that sounds very much like me. You know? <laughs> so just do what I would do. She's known me for half an hour. So <laughs> this is a, uh, uh, it, so, it could have been a disaster, Joel. It could have been. <laughs> Tim Gallagher, I knew you'd be an amazing guest. This is like the fastest hour of my life. <laughs> I just looked over at the clock and said, what? Yeah, this is so fast. Thank you. This for- is like our breakfast, Joel. It just whizzed by. You know? I know this is like locale. This is locale Tim Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go get some cookies. <laughs> Tim, I don't know about you, but this time just flew by. I knew it would. Every time we get together, it seems like we just fly through our time together. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your stories, your approach. Thank you for sharing who you are. With Tim Gallagher, there is no facade. This is the real thing. Tim can be reached at 101businesscoach.com. E-webinar founder and CEO, Melissa Kwan, bootstrapped three companies to success while traveling the world as a digital nomad. She's our next guest on Small BizCast. Here's a sneak peek. Not only are you saving time, you're also scaling. Mm-hmm. all of your repetitive stuff that helps your company onboard and understand your systems. And you're also giving them the freedom to consume that content at any time. Because freedom has always been you know, my, my number one priority. I was a digital nomad for four years. Right. I always worked on the road. For my listeners, I just want to thank you. You continue to impress me with the ideas that you share and the challenges you give me. It helps me be a better podcast host. Please remember to review our podcast wherever you listen. If you're interested in listening to other episodes, go to smallbizcast.com. Please remember to support our sponsors. And until next week, it's Joel Volk signing off. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. <laughs>